In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated, won't you? Good morning once again, everybody. It's so good to be with you in God's house today studying the scriptures. The last um, three Sundays, Dean Kidd has taken us through some of the highlights and let's say lowlights, right, of the story of King David from 2 Samuel in the First Testament. Remember all the way back three weeks ago, we saw David was, he, 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 he was a monster. Remember that? Then the next week, we find David um, discovering he's a monster and praying, Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God. And then last week, Dean Kidd took us through the story of Absalom with beautiful hair. Did you see the image of Dean Kidd's beautiful hair on social media? I'll just leave that there for you. Don't go now if you're online. Don't go looking for that right now. Um, but it rivals Absalom, I'm sure. Um, and the story of Absalom, remember, was like the fallout of David's action, right? Okay, so three weeks in a row, these figures who would, were supposed to um, inspire Israel to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Their leaders have been a majorly mixed bag, right? A mixed bag. Talk about family dysfunction. Is your family as messed up as King David's family? No, I'm, I'm actually asking you. Is your, are you. is your family as messed up as King? I mean, if, um, if you've ever been discouraged and felt like, oh, you know what? Our family is too jacked up to come to church. Like, we're the last people who should be in church. I hope, I hope you've been encouraged uh, the last few weeks because you are, uh, you're not the last in line. Uh, David's family was messed up. If you're exploring the Christian faith or um, simply maybe just unfamiliar with the Bible's stories, it's possible that you've never even heard any of these stories, right? Like you've, you, you heard about King David. He killed the, the, he was a shepherd. He protected his sheep. He became the king. Maybe he did something bad that you might have heard of, but you've not heard the nitty-gritty nitty -gritty details. Um, even if you grew up in the church, my hunch is that what we've been reading and discussing the last few weeks sounds absolutely nothing like that Heroes of the Bible class that you attended in third grade Sunday school. Is that true? Just to be sure, I actually went back through a couple of my own kids' like Bible story Bibles, you know, to see how, how, how do they handle uh, Absalom, who ends up hanging between heaven and earth by his luxurious hair and then being stabbed, you know? Like, what? I don't think Daphne has heard that story yet, and, and she probably won't for a while. That's fine. There's an appropriate nature to what stories we tell from the Scriptures and what we don't. All that to say... What do you think of the heroes? What do you think of the heroes so far? I remember as a child, um, one day outside in the backyard watching my dad up on a ladder who's working on the house. This is the first house that we lived in, so I was, I was fairly young, under 10 years old. And I remember him seeing his adult, you know, figure, uh, aptly doing something. I, I don't know what he was doing. 
and suddenly the ladder came out from underneath them. And dad fell to the ground. And I don't know why of all the different memories I have growing up, why this one stuck with me. Except that I remember the next thing that happened is when he stood up, there was blood on his hand. And it freaked me out. As a little child, my dad is mortal? You know what I mean? My dad can get hurt? Wait a minute. That's not the, that's not the way this is, this is supposed to go in my childhood mind. I don't even, like it's confusing. It's confusing. The heroes that we've been reading, I think, remind us that after our first hero, real hero falls in childhood, whoever that is, we spend the rest of our lives looking for someone who doesn't bleed. Is there anyone immortal? Is there anyone who can come through for me, who can get the job done, who can love me without failing me and betraying me, who can uh, take care of me and so on? We spend the rest of our lives looking for a hero. We need a hero, do we not? We want a hero. It's kind of confusing and discouraging then as we're reading these stories in the Old Testament to find out that none of these figures are our heroes. They all bleed. They all bleed. They're all mortal. It's even confusing. So here's our point today from the life of Solomon. It kind of reflects on the last few weeks, and we have one more week in the life of Solomon next week, um, perhaps in, in the book of Kings. The point is this. The only hero in the Old Testament, according to the scripture writers, is God himself. God is the hero of the story of the Old Testament. God is the hero of the story of the whole Bible. God is the one who doesn't bleed. He is immortal, invisible, God only wise. God is the hero, not David, not Solomon, not Jonah, not Daniel, not, and so on. So let's explore this. If you have the, the Pew Bible, a copy of the scriptures, turn to page 237. Sometimes it's helpful when we're in the Old Testament to have the text right in front of you because I imagine when you're at home, you're like me. It feels almost overwhelming. You look at this, a wall of words in your Bible, and you're like, Lord, I know you want to speak to me through your word, but man, these characters that I can barely pronounce and the storyline that's happening, I just can't find my way through it. So it might be helpful for us to walk through it together. If you're at home watching this and you've got a copy of the scriptures, turn to 1 Kings chapter 2. This is page 237 in the Blue Prayer Bible. Here's what we're going to see. God as the hero of the Old Testament, particularly through the story of Solomon today. We're going to see God's command of human history, his heroic command of human history, and we start through the rise of Solomon, the Solomon's rise to power. Look at verses 10 and following in chapter 2. The writer of Kings gives us a summary statement. Then David slept with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. The time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. Skip down to 12. So Solomon sat on the throne of his father David and his kingdom was firmly established. This might be the children's storybook Bible version of, of this, this story. But let me tell you some of the details 
of how Solomon came to power. Because it really it invites us to wonder, how is God in control of human history? How is he the hero of human history? Here's the story. Here's the backstory. It's not pretty. Remember Bathsheba? Remember Nathan the prophet? Bathsheba is Solomon's mom. Nathan the prophet comes to Bathsheba and basically they kind of scheme together at, the, at David's old age. As David is too old to be out and among his people, while he's basically on his deathbed, they scheme together along with Solomon, we imagine is in the back picture of this, that Solomon and not Adonijah will be king. Adonijah was one of David's other sons. He was actually the legitimate heir to the throne. He was next in line. But instead, Bathsheba, Nathan, and Solomon kind of conspire together. They, they convince David to name Solomon king. And then a few days into Solomon's reign, he has all of his rivals killed, his, the political rivals that might threaten his kingdom. So let's go back to that summary statement in chapter 2, Right? So Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom was firmly established. There's more to the story, isn't there? And it's not pretty. How do we make sense of Solomon being the man that God wanted to be king over his people, and yet to get him there, all of these people are doing rather seedy things that we know from the rest of Scripture God does not approve of? You see, the writers of Scripture are showing us here a very hard and mysterious truth. God's heroic command of human history includes every single detail, even the free choices that he lets us make, sometimes to our own demise. Even our wrong choices are not outside of his power. He can continue his plan and nothing will stop it. Nothing will thwart it. Not Israel's enemies, not even when Israel shoots itself in the foot over and over again when its leaders make poor decisions that are immoral even. I mean, remember, in the grand scheme of things, let me ask you this question. Should King David, should there even be a Bathsheba in this story? Do you see what I'm saying? Should there even be a Bathsheba in this story? No, because David should have never taken Uriah's wife. So this bastard child between Bathsheba and David, Solomon, he's going to be the king that God wants, and he's going to get there in all of these not good ways. And somehow God uses this in his command over human history, even the evil he weaves in a, to a story where his people, Israel, thrive and flourish. It's crazy. It's mysterious. It's hard to understand, but I think it offers us hope. God is greater than your failures and your mistakes. You did not screw up God's whole plan for the human race when you made that poor decision in your past. You cannot ruin God's plan for the human race. God is over and outside and in charge of human history. And thank God he is kind and good. I can't remember a time in my own life over the past brief 40 years on this earth where I needed to be reminded of this truth more because it seems like there are lots of seedy characters out there all over the world. I don't know who to trust when it comes to this pandemic or international politics or any of the rest of it, right? Am I alone in that? 
I need to know that there is someone who doesn't bleed, that there is someone outside of history who is even weaving into some grand good story, making all things new, even the seedy, immoral actions, both of other people and of, of me. Friends, the God we believe in is the maker of heaven and earth, and the first way that we see his heroism in the Old Testament is his ultimate command over human history, the actions of his people, and he's using it to weave a grand story for Israel. Here's the second way. We see God's heroism in the Old Testament, not just in Solomon's rise to power, but in his reputation and reign. The reputation and reign of Solomon could be summed up in two words, wisdom and wealth. Solomon's reputation, you probably already know, he's often credited as writing the wisdom literature of the Bible. He was known as the wisest man in human history. This wisdom led to wonderful decisions and benefits for the people that he ruled, God's people. Like uh, his wisdom led to international political decisions that... um, increased Israel's wealth and kept their peace and prosperity in focus for 40 years. When you look at all the story of Israel, Solomon's reign over Israel was the brightest shining star of the whole period. His reign and his reputation. How is this God's commitment, God's commitment to Israel? Why do we say his heroic commitment to his people? Here's where we get into our chapter 3, our text. Look at the next page, 238, your pew Bible, page 238. Look at chapter uh, 3, beginning at verse 5. Chapter 3, beginning at verse 5. His heroic commitment to his people. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I should give you. Ask what I should give you. Man, God must be committed to Israel if after all the disarray of David and his family, after Solomon's seedy rise to the throne, I mean, we should be surprised at verse five. God comes to Solomon and says, let me offer you a gift. We should be surprised. Why is God doing this? What kind of God would do this? It almost seems like he's rewarding. It's not reward, though. It's grace. It's grace. It's his loyal love. It's his commitment to Israel. In in an even more flagrant way, look at verse 3 in chapter 3. A couple verses up. We read, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David. Okay, that's good. So that part we should emulate. Only he sacrificed and offered incense at the high places. You know what that means, right? Solomon worshiped other gods. That's what the text is telling us. That the, the offering of incense to other deities was still a thing in Israel and that Solomon abided it. Wow. And then at the end of this, God says, hey Solomon, let me give you a gift. Have you ever blown it so bad that you thought, I don't know if I'm lovable anymore by maybe my spouse or by my parents or my siblings or my, a friend. I've betrayed a friend so badly, I can't imagine 
they would still be loyal to me. This instance of God coming to Solomon and blessing him with a gift, choose anything you want, he says. This is a kind of loyalty and love that we see everywhere in the Bible. It's what makes God the hero. Because when everyone else bleeds and fails miserably, God just keeps coming back, not with condemnation, but with love and forgiveness, especially for his people Israel and for us. Whatever concept you have of God, especially God in the Old Testament, I hope this challenges that view, that God might be mean or cruel or different somehow in the Old Testament than in the New Testament. This is not at all the case. In the life of Solomon in this moment, when Solomon is still worshiping other gods, God comes to him and says, I want to bless you. Why? Because I'm committed to you. I'm committed to Israel. God's heroic commitment to his people is almost overwhelming. Look down at verse six. Solomon speaks to this a little bit when he says, God, you've shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness, uprightness of heart toward you, and you've kept for him this great and steadfast love. I've given him a son to sit on his throne today. Friends, if you've never experienced love that is relentless, that continues to come toward you, even and with all your warts, I want to introduce you to the God of the Bible because this is what he shows us over and over again. Later on in history, when Israel would be hearing these stories about their kings and about how each king uh, came to rule and uh, the details of his reign, I imagine them thinking, oh my goodness, what a mess. These are supposed to be our heroes. And then when they fail time and time again, wow, look at Yahweh. He just keeps on coming. God is the hero of the Old Testament because he is an utter command of human history and because his commitment to his people never fails. It is relentless grace. Here's the third and final point. God is heroic in the story of the scriptures and in Solomon's story today because of the heroic cost. We spend the rest of our life, I said, I think, looking for someone who doesn't bleed, looking for a hero, someone who is immortal, not like my dad who could bleed, right, from a fall, not like Lance Armstrong in the world of sports, not like Ravi Zacharias in the world of uh, church, not like Richard Nixon in the world of politics, not like Achilles in the world of Greek Myth, someone, is there anyone who, who can be a hero? It's the one, is there anyone who doesn't bleed? Well, in fact, God is that one, and yet he bled, didn't he? He bled for us. The one who does not bleed, the immortal, invisible, only wise God, an ultimate command of human history, sends a, a greater king, uh, one greater than David, one greater than, wiser than Solomon, and he bleeds. Why does he bleed? He bleeds so that you and I can be reconnected with his father. He bleeds so that God's ultimate plan of remaking all things through Israel and through the church will come to pass and will not be stopped. It's his heroic cost that he pays. 
Look down at verse 14. This is the final verse in our passage, verse 14 in chapter 3. Notice what uh, God says to Solomon at the end of this gift. Solomon, if you will walk in my ways, all this is true. I want to give this to you, and I'm going to give you riches too. I'm so glad you asked for wisdom. If you will walk in my ways, verse 14, keeping all my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your life. The story of the rest of the Old Testament is that Solomon doesn't actually do this. He can't do it. Solomon ends up uh, with all of his wealth and the wealth of the nation. He builds all these buildings. He builds God's temple, which we'll look at next week. He, um, he, he, um, he has all these political um, um, relationships that are, are international. Uh, he's famous. And, and that ends up enslaving Israel. The people of Israel dislike him in the end. His wealth and political liaisons lead to um, intermarriage with other nations and those wives bring in their gods and idolatry into the people of Israel and it runs the nation into a ground. This is the brightest moment in Israel's history and after Solomon, the kingdom divides, they fight with each other and then they become exiled. This is the beginning of the end, Solomon's reign. It doesn't end well. He can't pull off, verse 14. If you will walk in my ways, keep my statutes and my commandments. Solomon bleeds. Of course, you know this story because this is your story and mine. We all bleed. We cannot pull off verse 14. I can't keep God's ways perfectly enough to be a hero. To be my own hero or anyone else's. And you can't either. So we need someone who can pull this off. And that's why God sends Jesus. God sends Jesus to pay the ultimate cost, a heroic cost for us, to pull off a life that we could never have lived. God enacted a heroic feat when he paid that cost on the cross for us in Jesus. Friends, if all your heroes have let you down, if everyone you know bleeds, would you commit your life today to the one and ultimate hero who does have command over history, who's committed to you, committed to your good, and who's paid the ultimate cost so that you can live forever with God. Jesus Christ, amen.